Today's guest is Craig Ross, CEO of Virus Global in Colorado. Craig leads Virus Global, an international training company, and he's more than 25 years in the business. So today you're going to spend some time with Craig and me as we share what has made Virus Global successful and which lessons Craig has learned from being part of that journey. Michael Bungay-Stenier, who is CEO of Box of Crayons, another great training company, and author of The Coaching Habit, was kind enough to suggest I invite Craig to be my guest today. And it's a real privilege to have Craig on the show today for you. This is episode 120 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, this is Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast. It's my privilege to welcome you to another episode of the show. It's the last episode of the year. This is the show for freelance trainers, for training business owners, for independent training consultants around the world, people just like you and me. And the goal of today's episode and every episode, if you've been a listener this year, um, is to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. If this is your first time here, welcome. If it's not your first time here, welcome back. You know the format by now. We have usually one-to-one episodes or we have a guest on the show, which is the case today. And today's guest is Craig W. Ross, who is CEO of Virus Global, an award-winning leadership training company based in Colorado. And Craig's company works with clients such as Rabobank, Ecolab, Harley-Davidson, Ford, Motor Company, and many more. Craig is also a successful author, which is one of the ways in which he has helped to build the Virus Global brand. More than 25 years of experience from Craig this morning as a training business leader. Enjoy. Craig, hi, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Happy to be here. Thanks for being my guest this morning. So the reason I have um, have you on online right now, in fact, is because a mutual contact, Michael Bungay-Stania, recommended that I have you on the show. Um, Mike, of course, is a brilliant author. He's, uh, just like you, written a couple of books. He runs the company called Box of Crayons. Um, what exactly, to your mind, is the training business? I'm just, I like to ask people what they define to be the training business. What is it you do and whom do you help? Yeah, thank you. I, that's a great question. I think the training business, essentially, you're talking about knowledge transfer. Um, but more increasingly, Mark, I believe it's about solving specific pains or issues that you know our, our target clientele are facing. And so more and more, we're, I believe those of us in the training business that are succeeding are really about you know, a solutions provider in the space of, of transferring specific knowledge, if that makes sense. So what exactly has been the secret to success? Because many businesses don't last that long. You've been around quite a while. What exactly has been the milestones, the journey that's led Veris to where it is today? Well, first and foremost, it's, you know, you've got to have great, a great team. And we've been really blessed with uh, over the years of having just great talent, very dedicated uh, individuals who are, are committed to our purpose and mission. Um, Number two, of course, is being increasingly agile and, or adaptive to the needs of a changing market. Uh, that's never been the case more so than right now, of course, during the 2020 year. 
Um, and then I think third is is continuously learning, right? Uh, shaping and evolving our craft so we can bring new value to the market. So what kind of organizations do you work with typically? Typically global, you know, Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies. We're really honored to work with those primarily in the technical community. So engineers, R&D, scientists um, for large organizations uh, doing work around the globe. And so that's an international focus you've got. Um, do you find that challenging these days with COVID, working with brands internationally? You work with companies like Ecolab, uh, Habitat, uh, Northwest Cosmetic, a bunch of companies, big banks, Rabobank, for example, Dutch Bank. Um, has it been difficult to to stretch internationally to attract clients of that caliber? Actually, it's been easier this year. I, I, I say that because, of course, nobody's traveling. We're very, very few of us anyway. And so as we work with other clients, you know, Procter & Gamble, uh, parts of Novartis, a company called Elcon that just spun off from Novartis Global Company um, and other great companies, you know, one of the things that we found, Mark, and I'm sure others in our space are discovering the same thing, is that the consumer, the customer, is now much, much more willing to to consume what you have to offer in a virtual format, whereas before there was resistance. And well, now because of course travel budgets being slashed for safety and health reasons, um, we're able to do a lot more work globally, um, and it's, it's just become easier, if you will. Any language barriers to that? Uh, there's certainly, there, there, there can be, uh, we've got some facilitators, you know, situated around the world and speak different languages, deliver it in different languages. Uh, I think it's always important because we're, you know, obviously based in the U S that we're, we're, we're generating and delivering the IP with a multicultural, um, perspective so that it's not, you know, U S centric. That's always a watch out. So tell me about the journey. It, did it begin with just you as, as Vera's global and then attract a few more people to the to the team and then where are you at today in terms of manpower in terms of people power in the business yeah, it's, it's a great question we actually it's a it's a fun story to tell make it very brief we actually started uh in the late 80s early 90s uh mid 80s really as a parenting company a, a parenting company that's correct yeah okay. our founder our founder had been a a successful business person and um had decided to take his business experience and dedicate it to becoming a better father himself. Oh, really? Um, and very quickly, we were doing a parenting workshop uh, in the middle of uh, Nebraska, someplace, center of the United States. And uh, an individual there said, hey, this this material, this methodology would absolutely work with my team. Uh, and that began the transition to serving you know, corporations, businesses, and so forth. And it was, uh, I think, mid-90s. We real quickly realized that we could serve our, deliver our purpose and mission even more effectively in the corporate space. And so um, I joined shortly after the founder had become the company. That's unusual. I've never heard that one before. Someone starts off in the parenting space and ends up in the training business. Um, what was that like in terms of connecting with customers? Had you some sort of cultural shift in your mindset or... What was the inflection point where you realized uh, this is the exact niche we should be in? So I'm looking at your leadership solutions here. You've got um, transformation workshops, frontline focus. What crystallized in your mind exactly what it is you should be doing? Because training is quite broad, Church. Yeah, you know, there's there's several uh, several inflection points, you know, if we're transparent and honest about it. Uh, at the root of this work that we do is the principle, the understanding that a, a whole person, a healthier person is a better leader. 
Um, we've always been about uniting and bringing people together. Um, when when I became majority owner, CEO, and so forth, we, we, we had another inflection point of realizing that truly the needs of the market, it was about aligning collaborative teams to execute business imperatives or priorities, if you will. And so it's been an evolution, a process of discovery based upon market needs, um, as well as, of course, what we're learning and passionate about. And right now there's a team looking at the website, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So that's um, eight kind of key people, um, Sue and Cheryl and Kevin and Paul and is it uh, Burak and uh, yeah, Burak. Pilar and Angie. So there's a wider team. That's the core team. And there's also, you mentioned a facilitator team or a, a team in different countries around the world, associates, if you yeah. will. Okay. And sadly, our website, uh, like most, could be updated. We're we're a team of about we're a team of about uh, twelve people, um, and, and several great team members that that are not on that website that certainly deserve and should be on that website. Uh, and to them, I apologize. So, how do you attract people like that? I mean, how do you attract core people to your brand? People who do their great work. Um, how do you find those people? How do you attract those people? How do you develop those people under the the roof of of Verus Global? That's a really, really important question because that's an ongoing issue, right? Um, I think primarily it's through the networks of the teammates that we already have. So you have people that are deeply committed to, again, the purpose mission, and then they know people who are you know, either affiliated uh, industries or similar industries. And of course, those introductions become really important. And then also, you know, our clients, there will be people that... Um, have you know decided to retire? Uh, we we absolutely, of course, from an ethical standpoint, don't recruit talent from our clients. Um, but if someone does retire and wants to work, you know, from a contracting basis with us, um, by all means, we entertain that option as well. You've written several books, so do big things, one team, degrees of strength and stomp. To what extent have those books helped you to attract clients? I mean, in other words, to what extent have they acted as lead generation tools? Yeah, you know, very much so. Um, and and it's it's a process of of um, giving the the book the the power and the energy behind it because it's one thing to write the book. I, I'm like you. You didn't say it, Mark, but essentially, books become large business cards, if you will. So lead gen mechanisms. Um, yet they they don't do well on their own. It requires uh, important and strategic promotion. Um, our you know, mutual friend, Michael Bungie Spanier, is remarkable at doing that. I've learned a lot from him. He is. He really is a machine. He's, yeah. he's a machine that way. And um, yeah, it's uh, especially our last book published by Wiley, Two Big Things. It's opened a lot of doors. Um, I think it's the quality of the content in that book as well. It's unique and uh, has a certain voice that it right now is appealing to the market. So a lot of variables there. How did you go about putting that book together? You know, it's an interesting story. I'll make it brief. That that book um, is really about four years ago, some discussions with uh, several publishers, actually. Um, we actually ended up having to reverse engineer, if you will, why we were being so successful in the market and with customers. And so step back was a great exercise. And so, you know, why are we succeeding like we are? Um, and then that's, that was the genesis of that seven step framework, which is in the do big things, uh, book. Um, and that's, that's really the genesis behind that. So if I said to you, to what extent has that book been responsible for bringing in 
revenue, could you concretely say, yes, having this book or having these books, four books in total that I can see, um, this has actually led to X amount. Could you confidently say reverse engineering that having these books has led to actual revenue? Yes. Uh, unequivocally. Yes. I mean, you get people that reach out, um, they bought the book in a, you know, an airport bookstore. It was uh, given to them, you know, from a friend at, at work. Um, and then of course there's, there's ways that you can't track it, right? Because it's, it's simply when you're speaking with someone that might not, might not know about the book, yet you've got it. So it's a credibility builder. Yeah. It's kind of goes viral. It, it goes before you. Um, so the solutions you have, looking at the website again, you've got certification, uh, you've got lots of IP here, the connector system, pathways to leadership. Um, we've got act in partnership. I see a registered trademark symbol as well. To what extent is your IP a, a contributory factor in your success story so far? I think it's fundamental to it, right? And, and again, that's, that's uh, understanding the, the unique needs of your target market, uh, finding the way and then continuously improving the methods with which, with which you solve those needs or, or those problems. And so it's a really big deal um, and, and really quite you know, honored to be a part of a team that generates that IP. When, you, for example, the connector system, this one is a certification program. I've had people, uh, I've had discussions about this. Is there any, well, you think there is, but is there any merit, do you think, in someone listening to this going down the path of generating IP? and trademarking it, to what extent is IP these days a critical contributory factor to success? Let's say we're setting up a training business. To what extent is it necessary to go out and create content, trademark that, and develop a system which you can sell? In other words, certification. Is that something that you think is essential? Yeah, Mark, you're, you're, asking, you're asking a really, really, really important question. One that I wish, you know, I wish your podcast had been around 20 years ago and I was listening <laughs> to it because I didn't know what I'm about ready to share. And, and what we've learned over the years is, again, start with your target market. Start with their particular needs. Identify how they want to consume the solution to their pain. Because there's different types of training companies. There are content generation companies, but there's also companies... I think we, we are in this camp. We're about speed of execution. Okay. And so our methodologies have to be practical, simple, and then we also add that whole person, right? It has to be inspiring as well. And so that, that becomes really, really critical in terms of how you're designing and developing your IP based upon the, the needs of the customer. Last piece I'll share on this, and this is the evolution over the last 10 years specifically, content used to be king. If anybody thinks they're creating content that's one of a kind, um, I wish them well uh, because it's it's all about the learning experience. It, it's it's from our perspective, it's about the experience they have with your brand. So, in terms of experience, is this blended? Is it classroom based? Is it hybrid? What what does it look like? These, I mean, Connect COVID's changed the the, the delivery model for a bunch of people. How does the connector system and your other system, your other IPs like Pathways to Leadership, how does that translate into post-COVID or current COVID delivery? Can it be done, for example, you know, remotely uh, or, or face-to-face or both? Yeah, it can be done in a both. We can do it either way. That's really, really important. We got very fortunate. We had a client in Germany that uh, in late 2018, early 19. Uh, wanted to consume, you know, purchase and, and use our IP. Um, and we were happy to go over there. We'd been there in person several times. 
Um, but then we realized it'd be far more efficient for this customer if we could do it virtually. And so we, we really uh, invested heavily virtu- in virtual delivery in 2018 and 19. And then, of course, COVID hits. And so we're prepared uh, this stroke of luck and good fortune. But to answer your question, it's, 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 it is blended. I think it's really, really key that it's also based in what is that participant attempting to solve. Um, and so we go about it thinking of it less as instruction and, again, much, much more about uh, providing a solution to their pain. Okay. Um, so aside from the books, because I'm still fascinated with the books, um, it's something I'm going through right now, that process myself. Aside from the books, how do people find you? How do you market yourself to prospective clients? Yeah, three ways. Number one is, of course, uh, making sure that you bring value to your existing clients. And so developing new opportunities to serve them. I know that's probably a pat answer, but it's you know really important in our fundamentals. Number two, of course, is referrals. Um, or as leaders grow and move to other companies, of course, we're honored that they take us with them. Um, and then number three, the the you know probably more traditional marketing work as it relates to understanding the the journey of our prospective clients, where they're at, um, and then delivering client uh, excuse me content that uh, intersects with their journey, whether that's in social media, periodicals, and so forth. And to what extent is social media, uh, um, has that been beneficial? Because I've, I've had lots of discussions with people who have said that uh, they're going to, to some extent, whittle back on social media in 2021. They want to do more long-form content, so less blogging, more articles, um, less posts, more video. Have you a particular recipe that works for Virus? Yeah, well, you know, again, I wish I'd had this wisdom years ago. When you start off in social media, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but we love those thumbs up. We love the likes, we, you know, and, and, and we sort of get attracted to that. But at the end of the day, you can have thousands of those and be out of business. Uh, yeah, that's very true. And so it's really not about that. What we see social media primarily is as the mechanism to bring value and reinforce our brand with, uh, with either prospective clients um, or existing clients. And so that's our, our mechanism for delivering consistent value, staying in front of them, if you will. Um, but to answer your question, uh, we don't, we, we maintain the social media presence, but it's certainly not one of our primary methods for growing the business or lead generation, if you will. Okay. Um, I also meant to ask you about the, the idea of, of, um, online training have you got programs you've got a video library i can see that have you actual online content which you sell in other words it's not delivered firsthand it's it's a it's a product which is marketed it's something people can log into and consume have you got content like that yes a ton of that that's you know our digital our digital learning platform um mm-hmm. is in, in fact I, I would offer this mark you've you mentioned your you know your desire around books and your i don't know what the words were you know the the appeal of books Again, if I'd known this earlier, I think it is important from a credibility standpoint that people in our space have some books, but almost all of our writing and production now goes into our videos. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, a, you know, then delivered through our digital learning platform. And that's how we're selling the, the online learning. And any specific platforms you could share with us? Which ones work for you? Yeah, you know, there's several out there. We, we happen to be uh, with a company called Thought Industries. Um, we'll put a plug in for them. They've been very responsive <laughs> sure. to our needs. And um, uh, yeah, they're very happy with their work. 
What does the future look like? Um, I mean, it's it's no mean achievement being in in business so long. What does five years from now look like, or even three years from now for Verus? Fabulous. Uh, thanks for asking that because we're constantly refining that. <laughs> our, our purpose as a company is to um, establish collaboration as a core value in society. Pretty lofty, right? Well, with the way that the world's going, um, we have a we have a lot of exciting opportunities right now to serve in, in many places, and so that's part of the answer. Um, as we're energized by that, it's finding the right partners, clients, business partner leaders who who want to advance their organization through collaborative leadership. Um, what is what does Veris Global look like three years from now? Uh, certainly larger. We're on a growth trend even through a difficult year. You know, twenty twenty. We're again really honored to work with great partners. Um, I, I think if I'm going to be really transparent, I will. You know, there's there's certain uh, thresholds that companies must cross, and we're we're right now at that threshold of scaling. Um, getting really really serious about scaling, uh, growing through scale versus you know continuing to do it um, team by team, if you will. And so that's a that's a little bit about. Um, I mean, you have to redesign your organization to do that successfully, and it's a lot of hard work. It's also fun work, but. Uh, yeah, you can hear me searching for my answer. <laughs> it's a difficult question, I know. It is. Yeah. Um, okay. So if I said to you, along the journey so far, it's perhaps another tricky question, but uh, what was your best mistake to date? Mm. That usually throws people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, best mistake. You know, uh, I mean, no, no joke. Uh, we've probably... Sp- I mean, you're talking to the tune that in over years, millions of dollars have been invested in in talent, in uh, a, a business model. Um, I could have easily spent that money and gone to you know an elite school in academia, but I never would have learned it the way we learned it, um, doing it live and in person. And so the best mistake I think was that we just kept investing. We kept moving forward. We kept taking calculated risks. Um, and I'd, I'd sum it up under learning what type of talents required for this company and what is the best, the best model, the best approach to serving the client we want to serve. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've had people say to me, for example, that the best mistake they've, been, they've done or made has been, for example, hiring someone um, they thought it wouldn't work out. It has worked out better than they expected, or they have found themselves in a whole new niche. They no, never thought this would be an ideal niche, but it's turned out the right way. Of course, we have uh, bad mistakes and good mistakes. So I like to ask people what actually, in a kind of a serendipity sense, actually has brought them down a path they never thought would they'd go down. I mean, did you, for example, see yourself as an author? I'm just curious, when you began in this business? I wrote my first uh, newspaper when I was seven years old. I've got the typewriter behind me on my desk. Uh, so I, I've, I've right. always wanted to be an author. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there's some best mistakes, right? Those, those early books, you go back and you read them. You're like, Ooh, I don't know if I Cringe. want that up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? That's, I'm a big fan of Seth Godin and, and, um, he's in the marketing space and, and it's all about, you know, publish, get it out you know, keep, ship. keep moving forward. I think that's one of his ship. books. He talks that's about it. shipping artists ship, isn't it? Lynchpin. Yeah. That's a great book. 
Yeah, great book. I bought that in Philadelphia, 2009, still have it. Um, okay, so listening to this, people listening to this right now might say, okay, there's someone, Craig, has, has gone right down the path. I'd like to follow in that person's footsteps to build a company to scale, to use your word. What kind of tips would you give people who are perhaps working independently, but have a vision of building a team, a brand greater than themselves one day? I don't think I'm going to share anything earth shattering. They're just, <laughs> okay. they're just, my answer are going to be lessons that took me a long time to learn. And I regret that because what I'm going to share, people have heard over and over and over again. You know, number one is to be really clear about the unique value proposition that you, that you bring to the market. Be really, really clear about that. And as of course, when you're young, when you're starting out, when your, your company isn't quite mature, there's a tendency to, to, to seize every opportunity, to try to be everything to everybody. Yeah, that's true. I did that too. Yeah. It's so, it's so, it's exhausting. It's exhausting, but it's this huge paradox because it takes a leap of faith. The number one, that's, that's been the driver of our growth by far, especially in 2020 by, by shifting that unique value proposition. So number one, be clear on that. Number two, um, increasingly be really clear about your purpose and how you measure success because there are a lot of large firms in our space who aren't very profitable um, or aren't modeling the use of their methodology and if you look at how they do business and that integrity just doesn't stand for a lot that are very profitable and do walk the talk and i've got friends at those companies and they're amazing um but i, I you know sometimes we see big companies and you automatically think they're successful well Again, be clear on your purpose and how you measure success. Okay. What about, I've had some people say to me, don't grow, stay small. <laughs> I've had people say to me, for goodness sake, I wish I was a contractor again. Uh, you know, we've had people actually who re- reverse scale. They've grown, one business comes to mind in Australia, grew to 47 people and is now down to two again. Um, I'm not sure I want to go that path, but but some people do that. They, they think, you know, being at scale is is an ambitious thing t- to wish, but it's not perhaps the thing that uh, is conducive, I don't know, sometimes to a stable family life. People say um, work balance has changed in people's minds because of COVID, and now they're thinking, I don't want to grow, actually, I want to stay small. I want to have a core bunch of clients for whom I do really tight work, um, build a reputation in a niche within a niche. Um, what would you say to people who don't feel that scaling's for them? I say congratulations, way to go. And <laughs> right. I'd love to have a, a beer, or, you know, a pint or a, some wine with them because yeah. it, it'd be a fascinating discussion because that tells me that they understand it's, it's, um, it's a, you know, you're either going to decide to have a growth business or a lifestyle business and both are okay. Neither one is wrong. And again, that's why I think earlier in my career, I wish I'd done a better job of being able to decipher what's important to me. Uh, how do I measure success as a person, as a person? And then, and then of course, that's reflected in the business. Where can people find out more about you, Craig, and the business? Yeah, you got it. Uh, Verus Global, V-E-R-U-S, VerusGlobal.com. Um, of course, I'm on LinkedIn. And um, yeah, uh, happy to connect and support any way I can. Really honored to be a part of this. And when is your next book? You've, have you one more book in the offing? Um, I, I see three. You've got, you've got four. Is there another book in progress at some point we can look forward to? There is. Uh, working with uh, a dear friend who's uh, finishing, finishing his uh, PhD at the University of Denver, 
And um, that's in the early stages. Very excited about that. You're probably looking at a 2022 publication, but uh, it's certainly new IP coming. Fantastic. Okay, Craig, we'll stay in touch. Thank you so much for being my guest on the show this morning. Mark, thank you for your important work. My thanks to Craig for being my guest today this morning, speaking to us from Colorado. And thank you to you for your time listening to the show. There are many great podcasts out there. I know that because I listen to them too. But you've chosen to listen to this one. And for that, I'm very grateful. Can I ask you, please, to subscribe to the show? It simply takes a click of a mouse button and it would mean the world to me and the rest of the team. There are four of us here. And the reason is this helps us to promote the show and to get the show into the hands of more people just like you and me, people out there in the training business who need some kind of content, some kind of shared expertise or learnings or lessons from other people, people like Craig, who was my guest today on the show. You can reach out via email, mark at trainingbusiness.com. And you can, of course, subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and many, many more platforms like those. Please keep your ideas coming. You can email me, as I said, mark at trainingbusiness.com. If you've got suggestions for guests or authors or even topics which will help you on your training business journey. I would love to hear from you and love to know what those are. So please drop me an email one more time, mark at trainingbusiness.com. This is the last episode of the year by my calculation. There is a fresh episode next year in January 2021. Hard to believe it's here. So all that remains for me now to do is to thank you for your loyalty this year. Thank you for your listenership. Thank you for your continuing enthusiasm for the kinds of content we bring you every Thursday. It is a labor of love. It's something I love to do. And I'm learning from talking to people just like you. People have found value in these episodes. So please continue this journey with me to help our peers in the training business, people out there who are coaches, facilitators, consultants, L&D people, trainers, People like you and me, if you know people who could do with some of these episodes as a helping hand for their training business, why not let them know that this show exists? It's often hard to promote shows given the complexity of uh, algorithms and the way that podcasts are promoted. But by helping me to help them, I guess I'm also helping you. And for that, I'm grateful. I love doing what I do and I look forward to bringing you more of what I do in 2021. A happy Christmas, a peaceful Christmas, and a wonderful, new, safe, prosperous, and successful year in 2021. Take care. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the TrainingBusiness.com podcast. Go to TrainingBusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.